Are you ready to turbocharge your financial IQ? Hey friends, my name is Murray Miller and I want to welcome you and your family to the Family Business Podcast where every episode is designed to keep you focused and on track to live a life free of financial stress, worry and fear. Would you like to know the exact powerful money strategies that not only our immediate family has implemented, but also our extended family of thousands and thousands of people around the world? Well, then let's get on with it and let's begin building a financial wall around your family. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm very excited for my guest speaker today. Henry Eisenstein is an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He's a friend of mine. And um, I actually was a guest speaker on his podcast going back a couple of months. And I have been looking forward to having you on board here, Henry. How are you doing today? Doing amazing, Murray. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm in Boston. Henry's in New Jersey. So we're both here on the East Coast on the same time zone, which is unique for us, right? Yeah, I was going to say, we've, uh, we've seen each other on every coast, it seems like. I know. And it's, it's going to continue as, uh, as the travel starts again in, in about a month. We're going to be heading out to Arizona for the winter, my wife and I. And I'm hoping that we're going to see you and Simone out there. Speaking of Simone, congratulations. Henry is newly engaged and very, very excited. This young woman is not only an amazing person, but an entrepreneur in her own right. And uh, congratulations for you and Simone, my man. Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot. You guys actually, you guys just missed it. You guys were in California, but it, you know, had to leave. I feel like I was there. You guys did such a great job on social media. I mean, thank goodness they didn't have that when I got engaged to Susan because it would have been completely a mess, just a hot mess. It didn't look anything like what you had prepared. So, I mean, I was, uh, I was just like, man, any guy that sees this is just going to be like, how am I going to top that? That was unbelievable on the beach, and the roses and the pictures. It was not the- easy. It was unreal. Well, congratulations on that. Um, You know, your your deal, first of all, everyone knows our podcast. We love to talk about residual income. That is one of the one of the passions that we have behind this podcast. And I know that you are a terrific business guy, but you chose real estate as your forte. And man, I mean, I'm just looking at your your background and your bio and looking at over $120 million of real estate that you've personally been involved in, in your short life. Hey guys, Henry's in his 20s, in his mid 20s. So he's just, he's a young guy. He's killing it right now. Tell me what was it that attracted you to real estate and if, if you can just a couple of tidbits on what you're doing to be so successful in that market, especially in everything we've been through in the last two years. So, um, I mean, I never thought I'd be uh, on the investment side. That's not really why I got into it. I got into it uh, on the sales side as an agent. And uh, I had a friend of mine who lied to me about how much money he was making. And, uh, and I was like, wait a second. It's like, if he can do it, I can do it too. Um, didn't work out the way I thought. And I ended up putting the business uh, about just under two years into it, uh, I quit the business because I was just fed up with how I was treated, the money I was making. I couldn't get any uh, any traction, uh, and then built my own team about three and a half years ago. And uh, I just uh, I ended up becoming just surrounded with. So, so back up just a second. You you got in the business like so many real estate people. You go through the process. You get your license. It's it's a big commitment. There's money up front. You get into it, you're completely disenfranchised with what you thought it was and what it was. You leave the business. 
What made you go back after that experience? <laughs> so uh, I went to a Tony Robbins event and uh, I had a coach from Tony Robbins who was, you know, thankfully, you know, he said some magic words to me that basically was along the lines of like, listen, I was 23 years old. I had five separate companies uh, at the time. None of them were doing any business, but I got to put entrepreneur or serial entrepreneur in my Instagram handle. So that's all that really mattered. Um, but uh, all I wanted to be was rich, right? And I had all these different businesses because it was the grass is greener effect, the shiny object syndrome. So I tried everything from drop shipping, Amazon FBA, clothing brand, all this kind of stuff. And my coach basically said to me, sat me down and he's like, Henry, what successful entrepreneur that you study today started five separate, you know, five companies at 23 years old and ended up becoming wildly successful. He's like, I'm like, no one that I ever studied. And he's like, exactly. You have to focus on one thing for a decade. And I promise you, you will see results. And in that moment, I knew it was real estate. I still remember where I, uh, where I was when I heard that information. I, uh, I had made uh, about 300,000 in gross commissions the year before in real estate, but about 90% of it went to somebody else you know, because of a, a bad deal that I signed. So I knew that if I could start it, if I did it for myself, I could be successful. And then, you know, within about a week of that call, I had restart, you know, I went back into real estate and started my own real estate team. Wow. So let me unpack that just a little bit. Um, what got you back into real estate, you knew in your heart and in your mind, it was a powerful industry and you had a bad taste in your mouth over the way that it went down in your first attempt to be successful in real estate. You made a bad deal. We all do that. Yeah. Every, every successful person I've ever talked to or interviewed, same thing. Something happened and it changed the way they had to have their perception of what they were trying to do. So your mindset changed. You listened to that person that was from that positive, motivational aspect of how to build a business from the Tony Robbins class that you went to. Yep. And then the person told you, concentrate on one thing for a decade. Wow. I mean, you don't hear that a lot. Concentrate on one thing for a decade. For me, you know, it was always just concentrate on one thing. We never actually put a time limit on it. But when you put a time frame on it, it makes it, it makes it more real. Like you, you're not in this, in this rush to have success overnight. You know that you're building a future. Yeah. Now, the other thing that you said is it wasn't just you at that point. You started building a team. So um, I know from traditional businesses as I, that I've owned, and of course, I, I'm in the network marketing business, which is team building. I have a financial services company. I've built hundreds of agents in, the, in financial services, and I've been a financial um, advisor myself. Taking care of yourself and motivating yourself is easy in comparison to building a team. So how did that work out for you? Did, did you? did you get that right the first time or did it take a few times before that started to work out? So again, I started my team at 23. So I knew nothing um, about um, you know, uh, the, you know, building a sales team. I was a general manager for a kid's party place. You know, I managed about you know, 40, 50 employees at the time. But, so I knew hiring and firing and I knew management, but I definitely didn't understand building a sales team. Um, so, uh, basically how it happened was, uh, I showed up to a couple meetings at the office and I kept getting award after award after award for my production. And I just attracted a bunch of young sales guys. And they were sort of just saying like, Hey, Henry, what were you, what are you doing that I could do? And I, I just took them under my wing and that's sort of how we started. And, um, I mean, I still remember we were sitting at a, uh, a conference table with three of us and we would just smile and dial for hours hmm. for months. 
you know, and that really, I mean, that went on for almost a year. I laugh and smile right now. We're, we're actually recording this for YouTube and social media with video right now. We also, you know, our, our um, podcast is typically just audio, so you'll be able to see it in other places. And I'm looking at Henry's background, which looks like a checkerboard, like there's black and, and red um, boxes everywhere. And all I'm thinking of as I'm listening to you is everybody else was playing checkers and you were playing chess. You had the long game in mind when you started building the team, even though maybe psychologically at 23 years old, most of us are not mature enough at that point to literally handle all the different personalities that you have to deal with when you're building a team. But it seemed like uh, just from what you described that it just didn't take too much time for you to understand how to motivate people so that they could get what they want and you could get what you wanted. And uh, I, I know from listening to you for, for long periods of time, we've had some great discussions offline, that you have a system down that is, that is extremely, um, I, guess, I guess you could just say it's streamlined. And I love that. So talk a little bit about how you were able to streamline a system so that you basically have systematized your real estate business. So uh, I think that a, a lot of people forget that every department of your business is basically a business. And things like lead generation is, you know, that department needs to be run like a business. Yes. Your recruiting and, um, you know, the way that your processes around, they call it the back end support needs to run like a business. Your recruiting runs like a business here. Um, you know, your client services run like a business. So it's like, each, each department needs to run in its own fashion. And, you know, I was taught that, uh, you know, really old school on a piece of paper, really just to get a start line and a finish line. And you, you kind of need to devise a, if you had, you know, I, I was taught if you had all the money in the world, what would it look like? And obviously, and then, you know, you have like your grand vision and then it's sort of like, what could you do today implementation wise and start? Get right? one step closer. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, that, that's sort of how I've been planning everything, you know, and I, I mean, I definitely haven't ever reached that, that ultimate potential of what it could look like. But, you know, again, if you do a halfway decent job, you know, most of the time that's good enough, you know, and uh, at least to get you far, you know, to a, a certain level. And obviously I'm always trying to improve, but like it doesn't have to be perfect. There's no, you know, I feel like a lot of people get caught up in the paralysis by analysis thing because it's not perfect, you know. That's that's absolutely true. You know, I know Henry guys um, as a businessman and as a friend, but I can tell just by the way you talk that, you know, first of all, he, he's a gentleman. He's extremely generous. And I can just tell by the way you talk that you treat your people right. And I think that that is probably one of the keys is knowing what it is, what it takes to build a team is respect for the for, for other people. Obviously, you're a businessman and you're in business to make a profit. And that's important. But you, you take it to a level of respect for people and helping them get what they want and what they're going to achieve and know that everyone has limitations. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, how do you handle, you know, issues? I mean, you're not into drama. I can tell, you know, you're, you're very even keeled. But when drama happens, how do you handle it? So, um, I mean, I think that there's, you know, we're basically firefighters as the CEO of our own business, we fight fires all day long, most of the time. And um, I saying, I say that with a smile on my face because we get to deal with that. We get to, um, you know, we're blessed to have these problems 
per se. And I think the drama, you know, listen, if it's a client issue, you know, I don't like to say the client is always right, but you definitely treat them that way. Because uh, we, again, we are blessed to have them in our life and you need to treat them, you know, no matter what they want, there is a solution. And nine times out of 10, even if you're going to lose money, it's definitely worth covering your, covering your brand. And, uh, you know, I always believe that whatever you can do, you should do to make, make things right with the client, no matter what. And, you know, again, I've lost money on deals just to make things right. I'd rather save face than anything else. And uh, you don't know who that person knows. I love it. All right. I'm going to play a game with you. Um, you have two meetings um, tomorrow. One's at 10 o'clock and it's a big closing that you've been working on for months. And one's at 2 p.m., which is a brand new um, appointment to show a you know, big piece of real estate to a new person. The 10 o'clock comes and hour and a half into this closing, the deal blows up. It's just not happening. Can't agree. There were some things that just didn't get worked out and the, the whole thing's blowing up and it goes south. I know how you feel already. I feel bad. Now it's two o'clock and you're meeting this new client. How do you handle that appointment or do you just postpone it, do it another day and say it's not, it's not a good day for it? How do you handle it? Um, I think that, you know, no matter what, um, I might have a little bit biased of a thing because uh, typically I'm not doing those own client appointments, but I would, I would say that no matter what, I need to make it right with my first client first. How would you, how would you guide someone, one of your, one of your team members, if that happened to them? You know, so I mean, no matter what, I think you stay with the current client to make their, make sure things are handled the right way because that relationship um, is, is key, you know? And uh, I think more often than not, you know, listen, the, the next client will understand that maybe something came up. And uh, you, you tell them like, listen, like I want you to know that no matter what comes up in your file, we're going to make it a priority. And uh, or you know, again, I thinking just to make sure that I, I handle everything correctly, I'd probably just pay somebody to open you know open a door or whatever I can just to make sure the other client has somebody there. Um, but no matter what, I, I would stay with the current client just to make sure I handle problems. Brilliant, what an answer, guys! You hearing this? This is this is unbelievable. I mean, these are lessons that um, honestly, you learn these earlier in your career, whatever it is that you do for a living, it's going to be nothing but helpful down the road. Um, you know, I'm going back and, and looking at some of the things on your resume. And, and I noticed um, you're a two-time college dropout. I, I, I have a special place in my heart for you because I went to college on my own. I couldn't afford to go to a four-year school. I put myself through community college for a couple of years. And frankly, I felt like I needed to just get out of there. Like I wasn't getting what I needed. I wanted to get out into the real world. So I was working and going to school part-time. What was it about college that didn't fit for you? I mean, all of it, really. I mean, I, uh, I knew from a young age, I knew from uh, about seven, eighth grade or so, I knew that I didn't want to go to college. And my family pushed me to go. And to me, I mean, look, I, I was, number one, I was bullied for a number of years. So I was like, why would I want to continue this? Why would I pay to have this all continue? So you, you had a rough childhood. You, you, you weren't like, it wasn't easy street for you. You had some issues growing up. Yeah, I was, I was bullied for a number of years where, you know, it kind of turned into depression and suicidal thoughts and, and, and things that, you know, definitely spiraled out of control in some aspects of my life. And uh, look, it definitely made me stronger as a kid. And I mean, for college, really, I mean, I, I just looked at it like, I remember sitting and I went for, I went to for business management and accounting. And I remember sitting in my business management class and I was already a GM of a store making, you know, 
40, 50, 60,000 dollars a year. And I'm sitting in a business management class and the teacher uh, is reading out of a textbook about how to manage people. And I'm like, I, I do this, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I like, I learn more from doing, you know, I need to be on the job site. I need to be actively doing it. Like, you know, you can't just, you know, teach cold calling out of a book. You got to pick up a phone and try it. Right. And uh, it. so that's just how I learn, you know? And I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, it's definitely kind of crazy, you know, me really seeing things years later, thankfully I did it, but looking back, if, you know, if it was my son, you know, going through the same scenario, I mean, it's definitely not easy to, you know, hear from somebody like, Hey, I'm going to drop out of college. I mean, because it is, um, you know, I see like I basically burned my ships. I didn't have I didn't have anything to to fall back on. You know, I have my own efforts. You know, I haven't earned a paycheck from somebody else. You know, as a, as an employee, in, you know, uh, I don't know eight years. And uh, I mean, that's crazy to think about. You know, I've had to earn my own living. You know, for eight years. Of my, think of a, think of how many people you employ that you actually you know put food on their table because you employ them. So it's not like you're not just receiving a, a paycheck from someone else. You're providing paychecks, which is awesome. I love that. Yeah, I just don't. I, I can't even uh, fathom being it any other way at this point. So, wow. I mean, Henry, respect, man. Just respect through the roof for this guy for what you've been able to do, for the attitude that you have, for the, for the way you've built your team, for the way you've built your business. And, you know, now look at you, didn't finish college. You know, you've got a multi-million dollar seven-figure business um, that you're building. And recently, you know, you, you got exposed to the network marketing business through Simone yeah. and you started building a team with, with network marketing. And certainly I know you're helping Simone with her team. So um, what did you see as far as network marketing similarities or things that attracted you towards the network marketing arena um, that might, might or might not fit the same mold that you have with real estate? I think everybody's attracted to the thoughts of residual income. And, uh, you know, when, when someone starts, you know, you think about it like this, right. And I know, cause you know, the financial services business is very similar to real estate where you're on a constant grind. You have a constant and forever sales cycle. You know, you need to keep bringing in money, right. Mm -hmm. It's not like one and done. And I'm not saying network marketing is one and done by any means, but you, you know, you're building an organization technically one time, you know, with real estate and financial services, you're rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding. You start from zero just about every day. And um, I feel like with network marketing, you know, you're, you're never at zero, you know, you're mm. building, you know, you're constantly building on the, the efforts of, of previous. Right. And uh, you know, it, it's really an eye opener because it's funny how, you know, I've gotten so far along in this business where I wish I was in something that built like that years mm. ago, mm. you know, and obviously like it's not too young for me to start, but you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's definitely a, a great business model. Listen, you're absolutely right on target. It, it has so many similarities. Um, I, I love real estate. Um, I, I, you know, I wrote a little ebook or guide on the eight sources of residual income, which people can download at our website for free, just to see the different sources that are out there because we love residual income in our family. That's why we call it the family business. And one of the, one of the ways that we talk about earning residual income is through real estate. Um, your, um, your background doesn't just include the, the real estate that you've been involved in the transactions, 120 million plus in sales that have taken place, but it also says real estate investor for our audience that might not know the difference between the two. Can you give us a brief description of the difference between a real estate agent and someone who's a broker and a real estate investor? 
Sure. So, uh, I mean, the biggest difference is that a real estate agent or broker uh, gets a transactional fee one time on an asset that somebody that you're helping somebody buy or sell uh, or lease or rent. Right. And then uh, an investor is somebody who is buying that asset and will receive the income of that asset um, or occupy it, of course. But, you know, they're, they're going to be the ones receiving the income on that asset for the rest of their life, as long as they mm. own it. Mm. So some of those transactions, uh, are they mostly commercial, mostly residential, a combination of both? Combination of both. Yeah, I do. I do everything. Are you familiar with REITs, real estate investment trusts? Um, yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think about those? These, these are these REITs, guys, for those of you that never heard of that, it's a way you can invest in real estate without actually taking title of a property, but you can be a partial investor and get a small piece of a, a piece of real estate. It's got some liquidity um, keys that you have to understand when you get involved in a REIT. But I think people are now more apt to want to have a small piece of real estate or a fractional piece of real estate through a REIT then maybe you know have the uh, the chutzpah to go out and actually buy a property and invest in it that way where it, all the risk is on you. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, listen, I uh, I kind of joke with people, which is any way, shape, and form that you can get invested in real estate, you should do so. Mm. Um, I think REITs are are definitely an opportunity for somebody who doesn't maybe doesn't have a lot of capital or just wants you know maybe has a few million in a retirement account and just wants to, you know, wants a super, super, super passive, you know, uh, way of making money um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not, you know, very, very uh, low risk. However, uh, I'm a big uh, supporter of just buying it yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, like if you're going to spend 25 grand or, you know, you know, uh, or whatever to go invest into a REIT, you might as well spend 25 grand and buy a duplex. You I know? love it. It, I love it. So how, how write-offs and everything else too. I mean, like it's not just the you know the, the passive income. So so one is just a is is really it's kind of like would you describe it more like buying a stock or a bond or, or you know a mutual fund than than uh, actually being in real estate? Even though I'd rather be in the S and P five hundred to be honest with you, or an ETF around that instead yeah. of a REIT to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think of some of the other questions that people would be thinking of while we're doing this broadcast. Um, you know, you talked a lot about uh, mindset in the beginning of this um, episode. And I wanted to kind of get back to that a little bit. Where do you see yourself going? I mean, you're still under the age of 30. <laughs> You've got a long way to go, right? You've got a long, long trail ahead of you. Where do you see yourself going? What would you like to see happen over the next five, 10 years in your business? So um, big, bigger goals around uh, is really just buying a lot more real estate as rental property. Uh, I want to get into as big a properties as I possibly can. Are you are you sort of in just one area in the in the Northeast in New Jersey, or do you have? Yeah, real I'm just estate? in New Jersey right now. Um, okay. Do you see uh, yourself it? expanding out of there? You obviously you know the market very well in New Jersey, so that that's obviously a big plus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely think that. Uh, I mean, where, wherever the numbers make sense. I mean, there's obviously a lot of hot markets in Florida and Texas. Tennessee, Georgia, North uh, North South Carolina. There's a lot of good rental markets that we could target. Um, I don't know those markets super well. Just uh, you know, but I've been working on studying those markets. And like I've even learned, you know, as time goes on, that you don't need to own 100% of it to be wealthy. Mm. You know, and I've been partnering with people who know it better than I do, and I'm just in charge of a small sliver of of, of tasks. And I own a you know a, a piece, just like a REIT, but a you know I, I'm actually a part owner, truly, uh, of an, a larger larger asset. And um, you know, I'm looking to do that definitely nationally over time. 
um, attracting a lot more real estate agents into my organization, just like you built up a team of agents in the financial advisory business. I'm doing mm-hmm. that in real estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm getting a lot more in the educational space with real estate, you know, helping people, you know, teaching, teaching realtors, uh, you know, every single aspect of this business, social media, how to build a, you know, a, a, stabi- a stable business and, uh, you know, keep, keeping, you know, just having a lot of fun, you know, and speaking around the country, you know, trying to get more into speaking. Okay. Uh, uh, th- that's perfect. I mean, that's a, that's exactly the direction that I was hoping you were going to go in because I think that once you once you have done what you're doing, um, there's nothing more gratifying than being able to show other people how to do the same thing and maybe not have uh, some of the trials and tribulations you went through to get there and kind of shortcut that and get paid Absolutely. for your for your knowledge and for your expertise and for your experience. So that's that's amazing. Um, so having real estate in different parts of the country, is it, is it, is it tricky? I mean, it must, it must be a little bit different. You, do you have to hold multiple licenses in order to make that happen? Or how does that work? You, you partner with people? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, when you start buying all over the country, what I realized, it's interesting where it's like a, when a lot of people come to me about investing in real estate, it's funny how a lot of them at some point in the conversation go, so should I get my license? I'm like, no, you, you definitely don't need a real estate license to buy real estate. Um, you know, I even joke with people, I'm like, don't, don't become an agent, you know, you know, just to buy, don't, don't become a realtor just to buy real estate. There's no need for it. Um, it it's kind of like becoming an insurance agent to buy a life insurance policy. You don't have to do it as long as you're working with someone that you know and trust and you're, you know, you're getting, you're getting your goals met. Um, it makes, it makes sense. So I know that you're working with um, my daughter and kind of advising her on uh, she's got a desire to, to purchase a piece of real estate yep. um, and she's looking around right now. What advice do you give to uh, someone that's never purchased real estate before or only has purchased for their own, you know, where they live um, and they're trying to get into in, involved in real estate for maybe building residual income? Anything that you could uh, impart on? Sure. This so um, I've been taught two ways. Number one is that uh, if you have the uh, if you have the wherewithal to get involved in large commercial real estate, um, thirty two units or, or larger, do it. If you're just uh, if you have the wherewithal and you have the money behind you and you're looking to get involved in real estate, the bigger the better. That that is truly just like bare bones real estate. Um, you know, the some of the best advice I've ever been given when it comes to investment properties. The bigger the better because you don't make like it's like. When you're buying, because you really are buying a business, right? You're buying a business, and w- when you're when you're buying uh, smaller assets, which I own many of them, right? Because uh, I'll, I'll talk about the second half in a second. But like when you buy bigger, there's a lot more money to go along, and it's harder to lose money in a much stronger asset. And truthfully, over time, those will be worth a lot more down the road. And they're also you're dealing with a different buyer pool. Therefore, you know banks will also lend differently. It's a much different world. But if you're just talking investment wise, I definitely say bigger is better. Now, if you're like most of America, right, where you don't possibly have hundreds of thousands of dollars laying around, and we're just talking about getting started and buying real estate as soon as you possibly can, uh, I definitely think buying a two, three, or four family property. There is unbelievable loan programs, and it's as simple as an FHA loan, 3.5% down, 30-year mortgage that you can start with to buy a two, three, or four-unit property. Yes, you will have to claim residency for about a year minimum. Right. And uh, but the amount of money that you have to put down in relativity to what an asset's worth and what it will be worth and what it will bring in, it, you can't start off at, at, you know, at any better of a foot. You know, it's just uh, 
it is the best first investment possible. I mean, I tell everybody, if you have not bought a property yet, if it is your first time purchasing a property, and you have any inkling of possibly investing in real estate, buy a two, three, or four family. You will be so freaking grateful you did that. So like right now, I, uh, I, I live in still one of my multifamilies. I have a four-unit property uh, in an amazing downtown that I love. I was there all the time anyways. And I, was, I knew that the first property that I wanted to buy for myself was a four-family, right? Because uh, the FHA loan, you could buy two to four units. Anything under four and under is still considered residential. So you can get residential mortgages, which are really the cheapest that you can get. So um, long story short, I bought a for sale by owner, four family property in this beautiful downtown. I paid $750 for it. I paid three and a half percent down. Um, and uh, I got a few lender credits because I'm close friends with the mortgage guy. So, uh, anyways, I was out of pocket, maybe $35,000 total for a $750,000 property, right? So, super low down payment. Um, my mortgage payment's about $5,000 a month. My tenants bring in $4,000 a month, and it's extremely under rented, by the way. So I pay $1,000 a month to live in a $750,000 asset. And now uh, I'm about to refinance it for a value of $950,000. I've only owned it. You know, I've had this property for you know, not even a year yet, right? Um, and uh, this property, I mean, again, like I have $200,000 in equity or a little over 200 grand in equity. And uh, after my refinance, my mortgage payment will only be 42, you know, 42 to 42.50 a month. And it, after I raise the rents, I mean, this property with those three tenants, you know, will bring in you know, over five grand a month. So you're going to be in a positive cash flow situation. Let's go back over this just real quick. Again, we have to unpack this because this is this is this is great, guys. You might have to go back and listen to this podcast a couple of times to take notes. But the, so if it's under a four family, you can get an FHA loan. Yes. The down payment is ridiculously low from right. a percentage standpoint, right? It's in a desirable area, obviously real estate, they always say location, location, locations in a desirable area. So, so that was on your side. You also mentioned that if you can go big, go big, 32 units or more, what, is there a magic number 32 for some reason? No, I, I, that's just the number that I was taught on. Uh, Grant Cardone is a huge mentor of mine. Uh, Okay. And uh, he talks about the number he always said was 32 units. Just because you know, once once you start hitting numbers like that, you know uh, the multiple the, the numbers are on your side. The numbers, the numbers start to work because when, you know he was running numbers the other day on a, on a property on a, on, a, on, a, on a live stream. And he was talking about how like if you just increase the rents on every unit four hundred dollars on a thirty two unit property because they were under rented, you increase your value two million dollars to a bank. Wow! So it's just like the infinite amount of money that you can generate. Uh, on these larger assets isn't you're just talking a whole different scale of money. it's just yeah it's just it, it, there's just nothing like it and by the way in your situation right now even though you're paying a thousand dollars which is nothing for for really where you principal. live right even though you're paying that you're depreciating that entire property your tax savings alone are greater than what you're paying monthly I'm sure. I, I mean, obviously, I've never seen your taxes, but I, I am pretty sure you're in a you're in a positive cash flow situation with the tax break you're going to get through depreciation, and all the things that you have to do in order to maintain the property. Which leads me to my final question about real estate, and then I'm going to ask you one more question before we close. But my final question about real estate is: most people, myself included, don't want to be involved in real estate in a two or three or four family like you described for one reason and one reason only. They don't want to become a handyman. 
They don't want to be the person that gets the call, the, the toilet's leaking at three o'clock in the morning. How do you, what, how do you coach those people to, to get them to see past that? So um, I look at it like this, right? The, if you're buying a property and you have tenants, um, I am more than happy when, they, like, and, and, and to be blunt, tenants really fast, tenants don't want to talk to you just as much as you don't want to talk to them, right? Like they have absolutely zero interest in randomly calling you for anything that is not a major thing, most of the time, right? And the, te- the messages that I've ever gotten from tenants are small enough things or, you know, or, uh, in relativity where I could just send, I send a, a screenshot to my contractor who handles it, my contractor and property manager. I just screenshot it together in a group text together and they handle everything. I don't have to deal with it. So hire a property manager. So uh, yes and no. I mean, listen, your contractor, until you have enough units, it doesn't financially make sense to pay a, you know, a property manager. But like, listen, if, you're, if you have under 10 units, I mean, or even under 20 units, I mean, it's just, uh, really, it's just the paperwork that might be a pain in the ass. But if you have a, if you have a good, if you have a good uh, a realtor who can you know, basically do all the tenancy stuff for you or a good attorney, most of it's handled. Yeah, I agree. I think if you hire someone that just works, you know, per job, if you have a handyman um, that, you know, you can and and they're out there, right? You can find someone. My brother-in-law, my wife's brother happens to be extremely handy. And whenever I have a project at my house that is just a little bit past me, I can call him and, you know, he can come over and he can show me exactly. You you don't want me swinging a hammer. (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, same same thing. I mean, I can I can swing a hammer if I have to, but usually the nail bends. But at the, at the same token, I you know I can fix things if I have to. But I understand it's it's not something. It's a fear that we all have to get past if we want to get to that residual income that you talk about. Yeah, okay, last question for you. It definitely, it definitely is not as complicated or complex or as much of a stress as everybody makes it out to be. Love it. So you can get past that hurdle. Um, So this last question is not about real estate. We would like to know, and I I typically try to get this information up front, but I didn't today. So I'm going to ask you at the end, what does a day in the life of Henry look like? When do you get up? What do you do? Are you into exercise? Do you you look great? Do you eat right? You know, what what is a typical day to get a full day out of you what do you have to do in order to make that happen? What's your days look like? So uh, it used to be this crazy thing where I wake up at three thirty in the morning and you know have this crazy routine every morning and you know I'd be on the phones for sixteen hours a day, whatever. Recently, um, it's more being extremely focused on what fulfills me. Right? I don't have a set like every morning. I, the only part of my actual set schedule that I make sure is the same every day that really drives my companies. Is number as I have a number of meetings between 8:30 and 9:30 a.m. every day, and then between 9:30 and about 12 12 noon, give or take an hour or two in either direction, I make all my sales calls, where I keep my business flowing every day. I call my professional partners who refer me a lot of business. I call my leads that I got to follow up with. But to be honest, like I used to do, I mean, like there used to be this super strict routine every day was you know like I had it so calculated throughout the day where. I would go nuts, but now, you know, with my fiance and now we just, I just got a dog and all these other things in my life were like, I've just realized that I've gotten to a financial point where I'm definitely not satisfied, but making sure that I'm fulfilled personally matters a lot more than making sure. a few sales calls. Sure. So 
I spend like a lot of my time making sure that she's happy, you know, and, and uh, you know, making sure I, I spend a lot of personal time on those things. But also I'm, I'm a night owl. So she goes to bed at nine 30 and then from like nine 30 to two in the morning, I like to be uh, redesigning webs, my website, you know, my landing pages. I like to, you know, uh, be uh, looking for my uh, investment deals, structuring new investments, messing around in spreadsheets, basically doing, doing all my investment work at night. That's awesome. Wow. Full days, man. I will tell you, you know, um, one of the things that you just said is, uh, and every successful person I've ever interviewed or talked to says the same thing. They have a routine and they're very consistent with their routine. And, you know, you make people happy, Henry. You're just, you're a people pleaser. You're always trying to do the right thing by people. And I know that, uh, you know, Simone is no uh, exception to that. And obviously you're not gonna be able to make her happy. You're gonna make yourself happy and she's gonna be happy because she's by your side. And you're just, you're just doing all the right things to, to uh, be respectful and generous like you, you normally are. Great, great interview. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. I know this is going to be one of our most popular episodes. So thank you for being on the Family Business Podcast. And if people need to get in touch with you about real estate, how do they get in touch with you, Henry? Uh, two ways. You can either literally Google me any any platform. It's just my full name, Henry Eisenstein, H-E-N-R-Y-E-I-S-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or listen, text me. I don't care if you have my cell phone number, you know, 908-216-6532. Reach out. All right, we'll put that in the we'll put that in the show notes so they have that information. They can just click the link and and they can get in touch with you. Henry, thank you so much for taking the time out to be on our podcast today. We look forward to uh, having you again on in the future. Thank you so much, Murray. I appreciate it. All right, man. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can join our growing family and begin implementing the success principles to building a financial wall around your family, you can go to thefamilybusiness.info forward slash call and you can schedule a call with us because we have saved a spot at the table for you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and the people that you care about. And we would love it if you would take a second to give us a five-star review to help future family members just like you find us. I leave you with this. In life, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you believe, plan, and expect. Let's do this. 